Open up your Bibles to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to speak with you for a few moments, share a few thoughts. I'm designed for dominion. Designed for dominion. While you're turning there, Genesis 1, we're going to start in verse 25. I'm going to remind you that many years ago when I was preaching in Edinburgh, Scotland, the Lord told me something that I probably repeated in about every place I've been since then. The Lord told me that there were three things that we needed to know if we were going to be successful in life and in Him. The first thing we needed to know was we needed to know who He was. We couldn't be successful in life by having false ideas or pretense of who God was. We had to know who He was. The second thing that we needed to know is we needed to know how much He loved us. The third thing, though, no less, it's the last, but no less vital, and perhaps the most, the, the, the most difficult thing to wrap our minds around, is we needed to know who we are in Him. Without a revelation of those three things, we are prone to deception. Let me say something to you. The only way any race, group, or ethnicity can enslave another group of people is to convince that group of people that they're deserving of slavery. Hmm? In other words, you have, to, you have to convince someone they are less than who they are. Now this takes place, it's taking place right now in our nation. It, 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 we call it class warfare. Whenever one group of people tries to convince another group of people that they are destined for a subpar existence, if you can convince them to accept their situation and circumstance in life, they won't rebel against it. Hmm? But it's hard work to convince someone that they are less than who they are because somewhere deep within them, their spirit will cry out that they were created for more than this. That's the reason why every poor person will eventually rebel against poverty. Every enslaved group of people will eventually rise up and rebel against slavery because the, 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 you, you can quiet the voice of God within them, but you can't shut them up. Hmm? You remember I told you that a couple years ago I had the wonderful opportunity of spending about 45 minutes with Dr. T.L. Osborne. How many of you know Dr. Osborne? A legend by any stretch of the imagination, a statesman for Christ. And, and it, was, it was a wonderful opportunity to just be able to talk to him for 45 minutes. And one of the questions I asked him, is I said, Dr. Osborne, what's the most important message to share with people? He told them, tell them who they are. Reveal to them who they are. Because listen, if you can convince a group of people they were not designed for sickness, they'll rebel against sickness. Hmm? If you can convince a group of people that they were not designed for poverty, they will rebel against poverty. If you can convince a group of people that they were created for greater things than they've ever experienced, they will strive to do greater things than they've ever done. You following me? This is, listen, and I, 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 we're just still establishing the message. As you, the, the very first journey that any of us take when we accept Christ is we journey into God to discover who He is. Right? simultaneous with that journey into God, God himself takes you on a journey, and that's a journey into the discovery of self. Have you ever realized how much of you God reveals to you as you're seeking to know him? Hmm? Why is that? Because uh, it, 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 it defies the ability of philosophers to understand, but we live in such harmony with God that to know him is to know ourselves. For it's in Him that we live and move and have our being. As we discover Him, we discover who we really are. It's in forgetting who He is that we've forgotten who we are. And as we forget who we are and we don't know what he was, how He designed us to live, we will accept a mediocre existence believing that where we are is sufficient and, and, and is, is, is approved by God. Hmm? Before truth ever liberates you, most of the time it irritates you. Because when somebody comes and you think you're doing okay and they reveal to you through the word how much more you're capable of, it, it doesn't make you excited at first. It kind of irritates you because you thought you were doing better than you really were. 
You've heard me say this before. A couple of you have admitted to me that you had difficulty with me saying it, but I'm going to continue to say it. That God loves you, but he can barely tolerate you. And the reason he can barely tolerate you is because he knows of your potential and he will not be satisfied until every song you were born to write is written, until every business you were born to build is built, until every church you were born to establish is established. God is not going to be sufficient or he's not going to, he's not going to be pleased with 90% done. He wants it to be well done. Right? So because he knows your potential, that's the reason why every time he invades your space, he changes you. And he reveals to you that you're more than who you thought you were. Moses thought he was nothing more than a stammerer. The Lord revealed to him that he was the deliverer of a whole group of people. And Moses said, I'm not capable of doing that. And he gave the Lord a whole litany list of reasons, of reasons why. The Lord didn't listen to any of his list. He just told him to go, right? Okay. So the whole purpose in this morning is we're going to finish up uh, four weeks, five weeks ago, actually. We started a series of teachings called, this, um, you remember it was designed, what, designed to finish? Showing you that God gave you the ability to finish what you start, to survive hard times. James called that ability patience. And then I think, what did we talk about? Designed for dominion, designed for dignity, right? Designed for dignity, and then there was another one, a third part of this. Mother's Day messed me up, y'all. I forgot my whole train of thought on Mother's Day. I was designed for greatness. Thank you very much. I was going to do another teaching today, but it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to me to just go ahead and finish up this thought and go, you know, and go back to Genesis and then into Psalms. And to show man, to show all of us that are here and those who listen by the CD, that we were designed for dominion. And unless we're dominating the circumstances of our life, there's room for growth. Okay? Genesis chapter 1, verse 25. Genesis chapter 1, verse 25. We're going to read through verse 28. Actually, go to verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule. Now, I want to stop right there in mid-sentence, because this is interesting. He said, let us make man. If you look that up, that's singular. He said, let us make man singular, and let them, plural, rule. Now, here's where I said the Holy Spirit never messes up in his teaching. He doesn't leave you any way out but to become all that he created you to be. If he had said, let us make man and let him rule. Then we could have confined the dominion of the planet to Adam. And we could have said that was his calling. That's what he was called to do. And he failed in it. But I am not held to the responsibility of taking dominion because he said, let him rule. Is this making sense to you? But look, the Lord, because he sees eternity in everything he does, he saw you in Adam. He is the Lord who sees the, be, the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. Right? So in Adam, he saw you and he saw me and he saw every person that would ever exist. And he gave us all a common calling. Just like, listen, through, through Christ, he gave us all a common salvation. Isn't that what the Bible says? That we have a common, one Lord, one baptism, there's one salvation. We have a common salvation through the second Adam. Through the first Adam, this is not meant to be a theological teaching, but it's kind of going along those lines. Through the first Adam, we have a common calling. We are not all called to be great apostles or prophets. Not all of us are called to be evangelists or teachers. Not all of us are called to be praise and worship leaders. Remember I told you once before, you can look at the design of a thing and know the purpose of a thing. The reason in the designing of an airplane that they slap wings on that thing is so it can fulfill its purpose, right? If they slapped wings on a submarine, it would render it impotent. It couldn't do what it was supposed to do. Hmm? So a submarine, because it has a different purpose, is designed differently than an airplane. They slap wings on an airplane because its design betrays its purpose. It's meant to fly. 
The reason they throw tires on a car is because it's designed to traverse across the land. And it needs those tires in order to do it. So its design betrays or reveals its purpose. I I have no delusion of ever being a praise and worship leader. Because I can't, I don't know a C from a D from a B. I, I play no other instrument besides the radio. My design is not meant, does not lend itself to harmony. In fact, the first time my wife ever heard me sing, she laughed at me. But that's okay. That's not a bad thing because I know my design. My design does not, so I'm not spending my days trying to become something God never designed me to be. So when you know how you're designed, it helps to reveal your purpose and you can focus on becoming what God called you to be instead of trying to become something God didn't call you to be. If you can't add one plus one, chances are you were not designed to be an accountant. Right? If you have no creativity, then chances are you were not designed to be an artist. Now, this doesn't mean that once you discover how you're designed, that you're not going to have to submit yourself to some training and some schooling and discipleship. I mean, you may you may be gifted in anatomy, but I don't want you operating on someone unless you've had some schooling. Right. So we are still subject to the training of the things that the, the skill sets that God have given us. But we need to discover, look at your design. Now, I'm not musical, but I'm very analytical, which makes me a great student of the word. Because I'm willing to spend all day trying to break down a word to get the key to a passage. Some people aren't that way. Some people can't spend all day in a book. I would rather read a book than watch a television. When I was a kid, I read entire sets of the Encyclopedia Britannica. I had every National Geographic since the 60s. And I would read them because that's my design. When you discover your design individually, it's going to help you fulfill your purpose. Because the design of a thing betrays the purpose or the destiny of a thing. Is that making sense to you? Well, we have have individual designs or skill sets, but we also have some things that are common to all. And it's in the discovery of those things that are common to all that elevate us as a society or as a culture or as a church when we realize that God, A, called us to finish what we start. When we realize that this thing called patience that God instilled in us gives us the ability to see ourselves through hard times, we're not going to be tempted to look at our circumstances when eight numbers are down or our, our bank account is down or our, peop- our friends have left us. We're not going to be tempted to look at those things and think somehow that our circumstances have divorced us from our destiny. We're going to realize that no matter what it looks like, we're still capable of fin- finishing the course that God set us on making sense to you you remember listen even G- listen jesus reached a place in his ministry when everyone abandoned him to such a point he looked at peter and he said are you gonna go too hmm? now here's the interesting thing when all of those people left the ministry of christ he didn't say well let's reevaluate my ministry i must be doing something wrong because they all the throngs are gone isn't huh No, because he knew his design and he knew his course, it didn't matter to him about his environment or his circumstances. He let patience carry him through to the end. Well, we're not all called. I mean, none of us are called to be the saviors of the world, but all of us have a calling. And if we base what's going on around us as proof of our calling or our destiny or our objective, then we're going to go through some very confusing times because sometimes what we see around us is going to be contrary to what we have in our hearts. And you're going to have to see it through to the end. And that's why God gave you gave you patience. When you realize you're designed to finish, you're not going to be tempted to quit halfway through. Well, when you realize that you're designed for dignity, you're not going to accept being animalistic in your behavior. You remember when we talked about being designed for dignity, the world is very animalistic in its approach to everything. The the dog eats dog, they'll kill each other to get what they want. That's the whole teaching there in Matthew where he said, you know, the world, getting what they want dominates their thoughts and it makes them animalistic in their behavior. They'll kill their own mama to get what they need. Hmm? But he told us, although you need something similar to what they're pursuing, you don't go about getting it the way they do. This is why some things are revolting in, in, in just their approach. Listen. Years ago, I had the opportunity to manage a a rental business down in Panama City Beach. I rented wave runners and catamarans and chairs and all that other stuff. 
And because I was on the beach all the time, I saw some things human eyes ought not to be seeing, such as old men walking down the beach in a thong. Oh, Jesus. That's enough to make you pray. But I also saw some other things because photographers would come down there with models. And I tell you what, I had to kick a few of my preacher friends off the beach because they couldn't handle themselves in that environment. But before I ever accepted the job, Pastor Deborah and I came into agreement and we prayed and asked God to always help me see that person and that woman, no matter how voluptuous, no matter how beautiful, to always remember that's somebody's daughter. And because we came into agreement with that, I can stand here before you and tell you I never once had a problem. I could be standing eyeball to eyeball with a girl you see on a magazine cover and I never saw her as an object. I knew that was somebody's daughter, that was somebody's sister, that was somebody's friend. They were always a person to me. And to God be the glory that I could stand in that environment filled with lust and not give in to lust. But I also, that gave me an objectivity. I got to be able to see some things because these photographers would come and they'd say, can we take some pictures of our models on your wave runners or on your catamaran or whatever? I'd say, sure, sitting right there, go for it. And they would make these women contort into these positions that you knew they hurt. In fact, I would ask some of the models, I'd say, how do you bend your back that way? And they go, it ain't easy, you know. And they, but I'm saying all that to say this. The whole thing was animalistic. They would even make the girls, you know, do growls or anything. The whole approach was animalistic. Well, that's the way the world is. See, all of that whole, that whole industry strips those women of their dignity. That's what makes it so wrong. And then the people who, the, the people who empower it through buying it, they lose their dignity. Huh? So man was created, when you realize that you were created for a sense of dignity, it, it'll give you the ability to withstand those environments that make people animalistic. Making sense to you? It, it empowers you to resist sin because you realize, I can't do that. I was created for more than that. It, it's no longer a thing of willpower. It's no longer I resist, I resist, I resist, I resist. You realize you were not created for that. It's the same thing that keeps somebody who has a $300,000 car from going off-roading with it. It wasn't designed for that. You're not going to use it that way because you know to use it that way is going to destroy it, so you don't. Well, you ought to have at least that much value on your own soul. Right? And then, of course, we talked about you were designed for greatness. When you realize, when it becomes revelation knowledge to you that you were designed for greatness, you'll never accept mediocrity in whatever field God places you you will strive to become great in that environment so that you control that environment to the glory of God. Right? Well, now we're talking about designed for dominion. And when, when God gave Adam the common calling, he, 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 he called all of us through Adam to that because he said, let them, everyone say them. Let them, everyone who ever would be birthed from Adam's loins, everyone who would ever come into existence through the lineage of Adam, let them rule for those of you who never thought you had a calling here's your calling right here let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth verse 27 and God created man in his own image in the image of God he created him male and female he created them and God blessed them. You fix this, Jeremiah. And God blessed them and said to them, listen to this. this is, here's another interesting thing. I'm still, I'm, we're not even in the message. I'm trying to hammer all this in. God is, how do you say, God is eager to bless. You notice that Adam and Eve had done nothing yet worthy of a blessing. They hadn't done a single thing, and the first thing God did was bless them. That shows that the thing that God is most eager to do in your life is to bless. And this is what he said to them. And God said to them, here's the common calling, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, for the sake of time, turn real quick to Psalms 8, verse 4. 
Psalm 8, verse 4. We're going to read all the way through to verse 8. Psalm 8, verse 4 says this. What is man that thou dost take thought of him, and the son of man that thou dost care for him? Yet thou hast made him a little lower than God. Thou dost crown him with glory and majesty. Now, verse 6, listen to this. Thou dost make him to rule over the works of thy hands. Everyone say, rule. Thou dost make him, man, to rule over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea. Now go to Psalm 115. We're going to start reading in verse 12. Psalm 115, verse 12. Listen to this. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. The Lord shall increase you. Man, I don't know about you, but... mm. The Lord shall increase you more and more. You and your children. Ye are the blessed of the Lord, which made heaven and earth. Now listen to these words. The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's. But the earth he has given to the sons of men. Do you see that? The heavens belong to the Lord, but the scripture says the earth he has given to the sons of men. What does this mean? Well, when he called you to rule, he gave you something over which to rule. And you and I have been empowered through the blessing to fulfill the mandate or the calling, which is to take dominion over our environment. Listen, man was created to dominate the earth, to have definitive authority. God has given you, listen to all this, God has given you the ability to control your life. If you do not control your life, someone else will. And here's the kicker. If somebody else takes control of your life, they will use it for their own benefit. This is the problem. I don't don't mean to meddle. I'm not political in nature. But this is the problem with welfare. That when a group of people surrenders the authority of their life to another group of people, the provision they receive as a reward for that surrender will always cost them more than they anticipated. The problem with welfare is that it enslaves people instead of liberating people. Because the people that take responsibility for your life will always use it for their own benefit. This is what Adam did when he he surrendered his domain or his calling to a personality called Satan. Hmm? He surrendered his calling to another. He surrendered the authority of his life to another. And that other always used man for his own benefit. Is this making any sense to you at all? Hmm? You can never surrender the authority of what God has called you to do to someone else. You can never surrender the responsibility of your life to another. God may bring others alongside to help, but you cannot surrender the responsibility of taking dominion in your own life to another because that, 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 that runs contrary to God's calling. God calls you to rule. And the thing that you and I will always be judged against is we will be judged against the calling that God placed on our life. Did we do it or did we fail to do it? Hmm? Just like you're called to live holy, you're called to live in dominion. Just like you're called to live peacefully, you're called to live in reigning. Listen, listen. Isn't it interesting that the Bible calls the Lord Christ the King of Kings? Isn't that what it calls Him? 
It doesn't call him the king of slaves. It doesn't call him the king of servants. It calls him the king of and the Lord of. Well, who is he the Lord of? The believer, right? Who is he the king of? The believer. So if the scripture. Saints, we cannot afford to be mindless in our approach to the Bible. You have to read what the book says and then believe that it means what it says. And if it refers to the Christ, the head of the church, as the king of kings, then it stands to reason that the ones that he's a king over are kings themselves. They're not, servants to, to, they're not servants to the whims of men. They're not servants to the affairs of the earth. They're called to dominate, to take control of the affairs of the earth. The number one landowner on the planet should be the church. But for listen, for too long, we've allowed limited men who have limited God to limit us. Because we believe their opinions, their suppositions, and their judgments instead of being like the Bereans of old and going to the Scriptures and finding out if what they said was actually true. When someone told you that to be humble was to be poor, we should have gone to the Bible and said, is that true? Hmm? People got all kinds of crazy ideas of what they think is in the Scripture, but just because an illiterate man who's spiritually unlearned says something's in the Bible doesn't mean it's there. When I first got, my grandma used to always get me with cleanliness is next to godliness. When I first got saved, I got three concordances and tried to find that silly scripture, only to find out that thing was never in there. And there's a whole other list of things people have said that ain't in the Bible. Huh? Man, that gave me excuses not to take a bath for a month until I got married. Then I had to take a shower every single night. How do we exercise dominion? Go to the book of Matthew, chapter 8, verse 9. Listen, it does not yet appear who God's called you to be. You are more than what you've become. And I pray to God someday you'll look in the mirror with as much confidence as John G. Lake was reported to have had. And you'll look at yourself and you'll say, wherever these clothes go, God goes. Huh? It may irritate some people, but you know what? You're going to have to be okay with irritating some people because not everyone's going to understand you when you seek to become who God has called you to be. Not everyone understood him. Some people looked at the Christ and said, we thank God that we're not illegitimate children like you because they defined him as an illegitimate child. That's how they, de- listen, listen, listen. Have you ever, oh, One of the first things God is going to do in your life, if he ain't already done it, get ready because he's about to. And that is to redefine you. And he'll redefine you by flooding you with new relationships. He'll strip old relationships out of your life and flood you with new relationships because the people around you define you a certain way. And when God has called you to a new level of living that no longer fits that old definition, one of the first things he has to do is remove those old relationships because they define you according to your history and not your destiny. So God will flood you with new relationships of people who don't know your past. Listen, you don't always need to be around everyone who knows every mistake you've ever made. Sometimes you need to be around people who don't know every mistake you've ever made so they can believe that you're capable of being more than who you are. And instead of ridiculing you every time you speak your faith or speak your vision, they'll say yes and amen, brother, I believe you can do it. And so one of the things that God will always do, and he does it at every different level, is he removes some relationships and he puts new relationships in so those old relationships can't continue to call you Abram. He wants some people in your life who aren't going to know you're the fatherless one and they're going to instead call you the father of many nations. Hmm? One of the, listen, you know one of the greatest limiting factors you and I have in our lives is the inability to say bye-bye. Some people you just got to say goodbye to. Well, how do you know it's time to say goodbye when they no longer empower you to fulfill your destiny? 
when getting around them reminds you more of your history than it does your destiny, chances are it's time for some new relationships. I'm just talking about the Bible. Go through the Bible and see if what I'm telling you is true. You'll find it in the life of every person of significance. You won't find it in the lives of certain people because the Bible don't talk about them. Hmm? You and I don't know if not by chance, perhaps there was somebody that God spoke to before he spoke to Abram. Huh? We don't know if he didn't speak to 12 people before he did Abram. But Abram was the only one willing to say. Hmm. Matthew chapter 8. How to exercise dominion. Verse 9. Listen to what the Bible says. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go. And he goes. And to another, come. And he comes. And to my slave, do this. And he does it. Verse 10. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, Truly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. Now, here's the kicker. Did the man say anything biblical? Did he talk about, did he, did he say, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus? No, he just simply said, I understand authority. I'm a man under authority. If I say to someone, go, he goes. If I say to someone, come, he comes. And Jesus heard this and turned around and told all of the people of Israel who were supposed to be renowned for their faith. I mean, these were the people of faith. These were the people of covenant. He said, I've not found faith like this with anyone in Israel. What made his faith so great? Because the man understood dominion and rulership. And he understood that the way you take dominion is by submission. See, some people would hear what I'm teaching and they think that would be licensed to never ask, Lord, is it thy will? You cannot take dominion without submission because dominion without submission is anarchy. You just do whatever you want to do. But true Dominion comes through proper submission. Submit thyself, humble thyself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you. Hmm. How do we dominate? Go back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 2, verse 5. I'm going to say this to you another. People who seek to dominate without being submitted to any authority are always rebels. They're always rebels. But when we submit to proper authority within the church and to Christ himself, we'll always rise to new levels of dominion. Because that's how God called us to dominate. Not apart from him, but in submission to him. And that's what, the, that's what made this man's faith so great is he understood how to rule. He understood how to take control over his environment. And that made his faith great. You see, great faith is not stagnant. Great faith is proactive. Those who, Daniel said, those who know their God shall be strong and do exploits. I like how one translation says they'll be strong and take proactive or preemptive action. Meaning they don't wait for the enemy to do something and then react. That doesn't take great faith. Great faith arises before difficulty and says, this is the day that the Lord has made. I shall rejoice and be glad in it. Great faith dictates to the enemy how he's going to behave. Huh? Ah, wish somebody would listen to me. Genesis chapter 2, verse 5. Listen to this. How do we dominate? Now... No shrub of the field was yet in the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted. Why? For the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. I believe the King James says till, doesn't it? There was no man 
there was no man there to take the natural raw resources of God and do something with them. Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. Listen to this. And the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden. And there he placed the man whom he had formed. One day I'm going to teach you all about the purpose of the garden. Genesis 2, verse 15. Just going right down the list here. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden to cultivate it and keep it. Now remember he said that one of the reasons nothing had sprouted and nothing was getting done is because there was no man to cultivate it. Because there was no man to cultivate it, God hadn't sent rain. God doesn't waste anything. Hmm? When you're ready, uh, there's an old teaching that says, when, when, the, when the student is ready, the teacher will come. Hmm? Build it, and they'll come. The Lord doesn't waste his resources, but when you're ready to go to a new level, he'll catapult you to it. Y'all are just looking at me like a bunch of cows at a new gate. When you're ready for a new, let's see, God, help me, Jesus. Lord, take me to a new level. We sing Israel Houghton. Take go on to a new level. Take me to a new level. But we don't do anything to train ourselves for a new level. We're crying out for God to take us to a new land, but we ain't doing nothing to prepare for the journey. God, give me a business. I want to manage a business, Lord. I want to build a business. But you ain't learned how to balance a checkbook. Huh? If you believe that God is calling you to something, then it behooves you to prepare for it. God could not, listen, God was not going to send rain so a bunch of things grew until he had a man there to care for what he had given. How do we dominate? We prepare. Whether it's through schooling, training, becoming a disciple. To I mean, we got to listen. Becoming a disciple. In the old days, they used to have craft, journeymen or craftsmen. And what was that level they had before that? You apprentice. But now nobody wants to be mentored by anybody. We got we got people come out of a two year Bible school and think they're the equivalent of Lester Sumrall and Kenneth Hagin. Hmm? We, we, need, we need to submit ourselves to the proper authority so they can mentor us and train us for how to behave on the new level. Even when they brought Joseph before Pharaoh, they didn't just bring him. They, they shaved him and gave him a whole new set of clothes. They, they taught him the protocol of going before Pharaoh. Hmm. Verse 15, Genesis 2, Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. Now go to Luke chapter 16. Now we're getting good. Get into some things now. Luke chapter 16, verse 10, listen to this. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. I remember when I used to manage a restaurant, I caught one of our employees stealing a dollar at a time. And he was a Bible school student. Tried to tell me that a dollar didn't matter. As I restrained myself from smacking him just for being stupid. I also reminded him the only reason he wasn't stealing a $100 bill is because we put those in the safe. Hmm? Because he who will steal a penny will steal your car if given a chance. I had a preacher tell me one time, if somebody tells you who they are, believe them. Well, if they reveal to who they are in little things, believe them. They'll be that way in great things. Well, it's the same. The reciprocal of that is the same as well. If you're faithful in little, you'll be faithful in much. See, one of the how I'm still talking about how to take dominion in life. There are some people listen, they daydream about managing a Fortune 500 company, but they won't take care of what they have in their hands right now. If you won't take care of what you have right now, 
God is not going to waste his resources by pouring out on you something you've not proven that you can take care of. Promotion in the kingdom of God is not happen chance. Promotion in the kingdom of God is a sure thing if we'll simply do what the Bible says to do. Listen, God always deals with small things. Abraham started his journey with a word. Moses started his task with a rod. David started his with a stone. (laughs) Elijah started with a still, small voice. Jesus started his ministry with a cup of wine. Adam started with a small garden. God gives something small. Listen to this. God gives something small that has the potential to become something big if you will cultivate it. Let me repeat that. God gives something small that has the potential to become something big if you will cultivate it. God gives seeds, not trees. God gives ideas. God gives dreams. God gives words. Dominion starts small. Why am I sharing this? So you'll know. Listen, when you go before God and you pray for whatever new car or you're praying for $50,000 or whatever it is you're praying for, God will give you an idea. He'll give you a word. How to exercise dominion. One, realize that dominion starts small. God trains you through small things. David never faced Goliath until he had faced a lion and a bear. Dominion starts small. God trains you through the small things. If you want a good life, take control of your mouth. If you want to be prosperous, take control of your spending. You say amen or oh me. Hmm? I remember one time I was was preaching over in England. We had a, um, I was just the guest speaker, so I really had to do whatever. And we had been preaching on prosperity and and. The pastor wanted everyone to bring up an offering and he had them bring their offering up and then get into a line and he commissioned me to go down the line and pray for them to have the spirit of prosperity. I thought, well, okay, I'll do this for the people. But I went down the line and said, listen, I'm going to pray for you. The anointing of God will come on you and he'll give you ideas. I don't know whether you'll receive prosperity or not because I don't know your spending habits. I mean, let's just be honest and be real. I don't know if God's going to supernaturally eliminate your debt because even if he did today, you'll probably get back in debt tomorrow. You know, this is the reason why there's a big problem with debt consolidation. People consolidate their debts, you know, get a credit card and put all of their debts on a credit card and think, whoo, I got it made. I got one small payment until the next day when they realize they have four credit cards with no balances. And so they go out and they max out because they haven't changed their behaviors. So this is the, you know, the suit, you know, so we're going to go down this line and give everyone supernatural debt cancellation. Well, I wish it was true, but unless we change our mind and change our behaviors, even if God canceled every one of our credit cards today, if he doesn't affect our behavior, we're going to go out and max them out tomorrow. All right. So I went down this line. I said, listen, I wish this was true. And it could be if you'll change your behaviors. You know. If your spending is getting you in trouble, then here's the supernatural divine word for you. Stop it! If you're maxing out every credit card and you want to get out of debt, stop it! (laughs) But I wanted a word from God. That was your word! Stop it! Stop behaving stupid and you'll stop having dumb things happen in your life. Hey, uh, if you want to have friends, take control of your attitude. If you want increase, take control of what is in your hands now. Adam's first task was to take control of the garden. 
He had been given authority over the whole planet. But the first place he was positioned was a garden. Adam was meant to use the garden. We're bringing this thing to a close. Adam was meant to use the garden as an example of what God wanted the rest of the earth to look like. He was meant to go in and out of the garden. Take the seeds from the garden and plant them in other parts of the earth. Do you see that? The whole earth. Listen, listen, I give you a biblical lesson real quick as we bring this to a close. In the book of Genesis, we are told about three distinct regions. The first one was the earth. Everyone say earth. The earth was one region. Within the earth was another region called Eden. Everyone say Eden. Eden was not the earth. Eden was a region within the earth. Within Eden was a smaller region called the the garden. The garden was in Eden, but the garden was not Eden. And Eden was not the earth. But Adam had been commissioned to take rulership or dominion over the earth. But he was not given the responsibility for the earth immediately until he had learned how to first take the garden and spread its boundaries to cover Eden. Then eventually through being fruitful in multiplication, having children and training his children to do the same thing he had been called to do. We call it discipleship. He would have trained his children to fulfill his mandate, which was to go in the garden, look at how God did what he did, and then take that design and bring it out into other parts of the earth. And eventually, through discipleship and growth, fill the earth with the form of the garden. Jesus kept the same example when he said, listen, first you're going to be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. Once you've learned how to do it in Jerusalem, I'm going to commission you to go to Samaria. And then once you've gone into Samaria, I'll send you into the outermost parts of the earth. Problem is, we've tried to go into the outermost parts of the earth before we've learned how to do our thing in Jerusalem. Is this making sense to you? God has called us to take dominion, but he doesn't, listen, he doesn't, he, he says this is, have you ever noticed when God prophesies to you, he prophesies to you about the end. He says, you're going to be an apostle. You're going to have offices in every nation of the earth. And you're going to preach to 10,000 people. And you're going to do this. And you're going to write books. And you're going to da 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 And then the first time you preach, two people show up. Second time you preach, one shows up. Hmm? And, and then you're conflicted because there's this grand vision. But then there's this thing that's before you. And you have, to, you have to rectify with what you see, with what you believe. And that's where all of these things that God put in you, that's where patience comes in. Because patience keeps you keeping on when you feel like you ought to give up. And it looks like you ought to give up. It feels like you ought to give up. It looks like you ought to abandon the dream. It feels like you ought to abandon the dream. But there's something in you called patience that just keeps you keeping on. And eventually, step by step, Sometimes stumble by stumble, sometimes crawl by crawl. Eventually, you arrive at the place of inhabiting the dream that God gave you. And though it won't happen overnight, eventually you'll reach that place. Is this helping anyone? You'll reach that place like Joshua. It's been a long struggle. There's been a lot of battles. We had to fight a lot of foes. But just like Joshua, when you get to the end of your journey, you'll look back over your life and you'll say, not one word that he ever spoke to me failed to come to pass. Not one dream ever failed to be manifest. Not one prophecy ever failed to come to pass. The journey was long. The journey was hard. It took a lot of blows. But we made it. And everything, everything that God said would come to pass did. How to take dominion. One, I'm going to give you six things. All found in the book of Genesis. How to take dominion. The first thing you have to do is go into the presence of God, which is what the garden represented. The ancient Hebrews did not call it the Garden of Eden. They called it the Garden of God's presence. Because that's where Adam met with the divine. That's where he went. Listen, Adam didn't have anyone to train him. 
So who could train him? God. So when he went into the garden, what do you think him and God talked about? How to cultivate the garden. How to increase it. Adam would say, well, why, why does that plant have to be that close to the stream? And how does this inhabit with that? And how does this co-relate with that? God was teaching him to fulfill his calling of taking dominion over the whole planet. And once he got the strategy, his, his job should have been to leave the garden with some seeds, some thoughts, some ideas, some strategies, and expand the boundaries of God's influence. Number two, allow God to show and teach. Number one, go into the presence of God through the word and through prayer. That's your modern day garden. Hey, everybody, look, Garden of Eden. Right here. Number two, allow God to show and teach. Number three, take from the presence of God ideas, plans, and strategies. Take from the presence of God ideas, plans, and strategies. Number four, go into the world and plant what God has given you. Number five, cultivate it, guard it, keep it. The enemy of life is going to attack it. The scripture makes it very clear. He comes to attack the word that you've heard. He comes to attack the plans, the ideas, and the strategies. So number three, take from the presence of God ideas, plans, and strategies. Number four, go into the world and plant what God has given you. Number five, cultivate it, guard it, keep it. Number six, start the whole process over again. This plan will bring me into dominion. It'll bring you into dominion as well. It's not hard. It's a series of small steps. Go into the presence of God. Get a plan. Get a strategy. Get an idea. Take from his presence that plan, that idea, or that strategy. Go into the world Plant it, guard it, keep it, cultivate it. Go back into the presence of God and start the whole process all over again. Because the same, listen, the same process will operate on every level of life. It never changes. It's as eternal as God is. Taking dominion of life is not, listen, it, it, it's, not, it's, not like, it's not a gamble. It's not a roll of the dice. Fulfilling the call of God on your life, whatever that is, is a sure thing. All you have to do is do what the Lord told you to do. Amen. Stand to your feet.